Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Because I don't have Alexa, uh, I only make like nine things, mm-hmm. and that's my life is impoverished for that. Reason. I don't. I don't think Alexa's going to solve that problem for yeah. you. I think that this might be a case where the user problem is not solved by the technology. Mm-hmm. What's uh, my problem? I'm sorry. That that if you only cook nine things, I don't think Alexa's going to solve that problem for you. Although Google helps me every day when I'm like, well, I I've got sweet potatoes, Alexa, zucchini, so. and this. What can I make? I, we were talking about how I would really like a meal planning app game. Yeah. That like, I mean, we meal plan already and we like have like a physical board and then we use an, an app for going to the grocery store. But like if it would just like look in my fridge and then it would spin the dice and then put everything I need to make those meals on my grocery list and then I could just go to the grocery store. I don't think I need this enough that I'd be willing to pay for it, though. So it's it probably free. a really bad business plan. No. But. I think that there's a market for that because I think uh, for me it's like I I just I want to know what I can do with what's on sale versus what you know yeah. going to the uh, the grocery store to buy specific ingredients a lot of the time is a nightmare. You um, could stop wasting time pouring your own salt. I know that much. Yeah, I know. You could yeah, speed I could up save a little bit of time. So much. We have a CSA, so right now we're struggling with what to do with uh, like twenty zucchinis mm-hmm. and. Uh, Tomatoes when we don't really eat them. I got and, this yeah. Swiss chard once, just and every food I had was pink for about six <laughs> weeks, and I was like, "Nah, not again." Nah, I'm done with this. Uh, I would make a lot of zucchini bread. We we so I have a zucchini muffin in my bag right now. We've nice. made a lot of zucchini muffins, but there's actually a limit on how many zucchini muffins two people can eat. Oh yeah, there um, is. And uh, zucchini chips are great because they use up an entire zucchini, but they also take forever to make, and it's been a bazillion degrees, so you don't really want to run the oven yeah. for hours at a time. But I think today we're going to try to knock out like five zucchinis. Maybe That's could, great. Maybe you could find an old Ronco electric food dehydrator. Oh, those I don't are know nice. how much heat those put off. We though. live in a small apartment. We're not allowed any more single-use kitchen items. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, banned as a, as a... Smart decision. Yeah. yeah. And you are Spiral. listening to yet another episode of Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Hi, everybody. I'm Jeremy. I am your erstwhile host. Is that the right word for it? I don't know. More like half-assed than erstwhile, I guess. And joined by another another lovely three guests who have deigned to uh, devo- to sacrifice part of their Sunday late morning, early afternoon here at our scenic basement uh, apartment studios. Uh, uh, going around the table, guests, if you will please introduce yourself. I am Natasha, repeat uh, guest and nerd. Uh, I'm Lillian. Uh, this is my first time on the show. I'm Garrett, uh, on-air personality and neo-Luddite. <laughs> that makes sense. And It's, tr- it's just true, Jeremy. Yeah, it's true. And uh, I, I took a team of oxen to the t- to get here today. A team? What? What? The two? Yeah. The, I had the four the, oxen. The one didn't help. A cart. Okay. Yes. Where did you store them? Um my oxen storage facility 
that is in, located in, in central in, northeast Portland. No, no. Uh, oh, you mean where did I store them in this neighborhood? Yeah. Oh, they're Park. just they're just kicking around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just yeah. wandering through the streets. Yeah, people find it very whimsical, so they don't really give. And they all have, I think uh, nobody they would all be have surprised, RFID actually. tags on them, even though I don't know how to use that. Have, but I, have they ended up in Portlandia ever? Your uh, oxen? Not that I know of, because okay. I, I think I'd have to sign a release. <laughs> yeah, well, Maybe the, they signed a release and they, got some hoof prints on the... Well, if they did, I'd say more power to them. Okay. But. We do have chickens that wander around the neighborhood at least over like, two blocks away where the lady just, I guess... Want chickens in the street? Why not? You know, it's good enough enough for the cats. Why not for the chickens? They'll get loose for sure. Yeah, I mean, also chickens. Like the nice thing is, unlike cats, they always come home before dark. They're very home-based creatures and totally blind in the dark. So, oh, I didn't realize that. (laughs) Oh yeah, they're that's why they sleep all night long. They they are like, and they're immediately like, as soon as the sun's going down, they're like, oh, I got to go back to the coop. Yeah. All right, which means yeah, look out for your chickens for the upcoming eclipse. Well, check that for the August eclipse, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, wanted to, Lillian wanted to bring you on because you are working on an upcoming book, and I wanted you to talk about your book. Oh, as awesome. well as well as your, as well as your uh, your previous work. I think I I met you through both the XOXO festival, but also your local what money boot camp. Mm-hmm, yeah. Which was great and held in the was it the O building uh, one of the one of the kind of converted post industrial spaces down in uh, in 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 the in deep well not deep right really close in southeast yeah industrial southeast though. yes it's very industrial um, yeah I have a so coming out in October I have a Kickstarter for Get Your Money Together workbook which is a cat and Bowie themed personal finance workbook perfect um, and uh, yeah so that's coming out I guess October feels really soon to me but I'm it going is. to 10 countries in between now and then so cool oh my um, god station yeah for, um, for the book I presume no oh, um, just for the hell of it I am kind of I'm I'm taking a so I also host a podcast um, called Oh My Dollar that's about personal finance um, and I am taking a train trip from Dublin all the way to Shanghai, China um, wow in like I'm leaving in like two and a half weeks so I don't know a little freaked out right now as far as how much I need to do before then um, but one of the things I'm doing along the way is I'm filming or I'm recording podcasts Oh my galleon, because I'm starting at a Harry Potter conference, oh, and wonderful. oh my euro, oh my ruble, and oh my yen mm-hmm. along the way. So that's presumably that's the business I'm doing, but I'm mainly going because I'm a train nerd and I really want to take the Trans Mongolian Railway. So that's wonderful. Yeah, that would be dope. Yeah, I'm excited. It is six straight days on a train, so yeah, <laughs> through Russia and China. <laughs> no stops at all. I am not taking any stops. Um, yeah, so it's straight through, which is going to be interesting. Um, the longest straight through train trip I've done is New York to uh, San Diego with like a couple hour layover in Chicago. So it's like four Damn. four days. So four days, yeah, six wow. days is a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the longest train trip in the world you can take. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool though. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. I love about riding it. on a train. I don't know if I'd love riding on a train for six days, but. We'll find out if I do. I think I'm going to be very excited to see Beijing at the end of it. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, and I'm taking a ferry. So I'm starting in Dublin, which is just purely accidental. I'm at this Harry Potter conference. um, Mm -hmm. And uh, 
and I'm so I'm taking a ferry, and then I have one bus in the middle, but the rest is by train. I have and Russia are fighting with each other. They're not, they're oh, not friendly yes. right now. Well, they're so friendly that it's a, it's a kind of problematic. It's mainly because Russia and Ukraine are fighting with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so Belarus and Russia are part of the Russian Union, and because of that, the border between them is not considered an international border. So you can't cross it if you're not Belarusian or Russian, even if you have a visa for both countries. So for years, the Warsaw to Moscow um, train, which is a very famous train among people that like trains, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, it was no problem. But um, because of the Ukrainian occupation right now, they're using a bunch of the train lines for military transport. And because of that, they've now finally been enforcing this law that actually says that that's not an international land border. And getting onto trains and kicking people off and making them book flights into Russia. Um, Whoa. Wow. And, you know, like fining them and the the fine is not a big deal. It's like around 30 USD uh, in equivalent. You know, it's not like the fine isn't a huge deal, but I just feel like maybe fighting with the military dictatorship um, in a language I don't speak is not... That's not a fun time for anyone. Yeah. But I'm taking a bus through three countries yeah. just to avoid Belarus, which is freaking ridiculous. Which like, countries? Uh, Estonia, Latvia, and um, I'm starting in Poland. So That's really great. Though. Latvia and Estonia are very beautiful. I mean, I'm going to be in a sleeper bus oh, for sleeper nine bus. straight hours like, just passing through yeah. the country. <laughs> so I'm going to be in Riga for like three hours or something before okay. I get on the train from Riga to Moscow. Yeah. So it's not... It's yeah. I'm just losing a day to yeah. highway traffic. Essentially, that's, that sucks. <laughs> what, that sounds um, like a blast to me. <laughs> I, I a slightly related question: What happens at a Harry Potter fa- uh, conference? Much less an Irish Harry Potter uh, conference. Well, so it's it's called LeakyCon, um, based on the Leaky oh, okay. Cauldron and the website um, LeakyCauldron.com, which was a massive. It was like one of the original it Harry Potter fan original. communities. Yeah. yeah, my friend Melissa was the person who started it. Um, oh, wonderful! And she runs now. She runs like. A company called Mischief Ma- Management, which runs fan events. So she runs really big cons like Broadway Con and stuff. And one of them is Leaky Con. So it has a lot of um, kind of normal con elements where it's got like the vendors and artists, vendors and, and artists, but also like major names from the Harry Potter fandom. So yeah. you know the woman who plays Cho Chang and the woman that plays Luna Lovegood. They'll and, get the uh, actresses and actors. Yeah, yeah. they come. Um, and it's in Dublin this year because it's the 10th anniversary of the book coming out. So oh, the, wow. that's the last book coming out. So yeah. that's why they're doing it in um, Dublin because it's like Hogwarts and it's mm-hmm. like way the frick out there. It's like not in Dublin because it's a massive con. So I'm teaching a um, workshop on the economics of Harry Potter called Harry Potter and the Order of Canes. Uh, that is about how economics, macroeconomics work in the Harry Potter world. That's pretty fascinating. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's Far the whole out. reason. I mean, I'm, I'm also I'm on the board of an organization that's a nonprofit you, that teaches social justice through Harry Potter. So I'm there as the co-chair of the Harry, HPA. That's great. I was going to say that they, they, they did a recent episode of Imaginary Worlds on how mm-hmm. Harry Potter, they're, they've done a lot of research into seeing how that affected a generation of children and being able to be more um, social justice minded. So that's, I, I think there's been a, there has been a lot of legitimization of that, that kids that are, are able to, especially when you have young boys and girls both reading these books, mm-hmm. um, being more conscientious of like, you know, it's obviously teaching a lot about racial issues. About yeah, what did they, sorry, what did they attribute 
as the positive sort of empathy apparently empathy yeah, yeah. like but awareness what, what and conscientiousness the, what, what were the dynamics of it was like the, the muggle non-muggle distinction yeah i mean or, well i mean or... the, the whole thing around the death eaters and voldemort was that pretty they, much the holocaust they they are anti-muggle so they don't like okay. just human right like you, they are only magic pure blood magic only and they actually use the word pure blood yeah. mm-hmm, within the text mm-hmm. i think yeah that was always one of the jokes of like, i can't remember who put it it's just someone pointed out it was like so like you know a full house you know is a full house of is a full house of hogwarts just just full-on nazis because there's at least they are they <laughs> Southern, are, yeah. yeah yeah they're they're certainly it's like and that was like just cool to everybody like what you know what did uh what did dumbledore do during the war and um <laughs> Which is always I always thought that was like one of the it's at some point yeah that was my thing is like at what point does the you know in world you know kind of like magic world versus versus Muggle world at what point does that br- does that break down with say you know real world history? I mean I think it maps really really well um, and uh, you know J.K. Rowling isn't perfect and I I don't think the canon is a a perfect allegory yeah. for for historical um, racism but I think. The, especially the sixth and the seventh books do a very good job of showing what happens when you have casual implicit bias. So like purebloods and, and halfbloods and this kind of general idea that, um, that there's these old houses of, that are all wizarding families and the lines are pure versus, versus infiltrated by mudbloods. And, um, I mean, it maps incredibly well to what happens when you have casual implicit bias combined with government control of media. Yeah. Um, which is exactly what happened during the Weimar era in Germany, right? It's the exact same thing. When you have a massive film industry that produces a bunch of anti-Semitic propaganda and starts spreading this idea that, you know, people are less pure if they have Jewish blood and that they're also thieving and that they're also greedy and that they control all the money supply and blah, 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 blah. If you start building that up with government-backed media, then you can shift the opinions in ways that initially it seems really, this is how implicit bias seems, right? Like, initially, right, casual racism is like, well... Yeah, it might kind of suck for people that are affected by it, but like generally, like just ignore it. You know, oh, blah yeah. blah blah. Like you're stronger than that. You can ignore it. You're a Hermione. You can ignore people talking to you about being mudblood. And then what happens is that it can turn into full out war if these people are allowed to seize power. And at that point, it's this question of like, well, I'm not affected because I'm not. You know, it's I, I think it perfectly maps to any time in history exactly. that we've marginalized group and then turned it into war and totalitarian governments. I'm wondering <laughs> As if, we're seeing kind of right now. Yeah. 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 And I, I, can't, I can't talk about Harry Potter I can talk about at this all. all. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen all the movies one time yeah, and yeah. that's my that's my involvement. Like I could so. talk about it extensively. <laughs> yeah. well, obviously. Do you want to talk and, about how there is a gold standard in the, <laughs> and they have a 100% well, reserve I, requirement in Greenhouse? Uh, I, I do I do have more interest in, in that than, than all, <laughs> yeah. all like Weimar Germany stuff because I just can't have nothing to add to it. At least I know a little bit about economics. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's what I teach on is the economics. I, I was set to teach like a four part uh Portland Underground Grad School class on the macroeconomics of Harry Potter. Sweet. I mean, I think that's... Uh, some people dog on this, that sort of stuff, but it's like if you can introduce concepts to people by using some sort of piece of culture that they love... It's I, a bridge. I think that's a good-ass yeah, good. idea, you know what I mean? Because people think they hate economics. I think it's pretty interesting, but I always kind of took to it naturally, so... 
That's I'm, that's pretty much exactly what I try to do with my Dollar. That's why I dress up in Bowie costumes to explain mm-hmm. personal finance. Um, I, it's I I think that there's a lot of power in in kind of I always say like a little bit of spandex helps the four hundred one ks go down. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> which that's is great. it's just like people are so emotional about so much of this stuff, and social justice is like this is true. But with personal finance, it's really true as well. Like it's scary. People have a lot of things built up from their childhood around it and it um it it just sucks to talk about like very few like i love to talk about money but that doesn't mean that it's not still like emotional and anxious Mm -hmm. driving for a lot of folks um including myself a lot of the time and if you can disarm them like you know it's like dazzle camouflage essentially which is that like people come into a budgeting workshop or a retirement workshop expecting one sort of thing and if you then show up wearing five inch platform boots and glittery spandex and a bowie wig then suddenly they're jolted enough out of their environment to have a conversation about the really important stuff which like most of the stuff with personal finance most of it's not that complicated right with econ we make it very i've actually so i'm i'm uh full disclosure i'm an accountant uh and I've actually helped people with personal finance. Not not a lot of people, but a few. Because I'm I'm actually not that interested. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> like well. I mean, I, I I'm just not interested enough in it to do it as a business. And and uh, but I people always comment after I've helped them. They always comment with like, "This is actually a lot easier than I thought it was." Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you're just scared of it. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like that was always my perspective. It's so just that's interesting. It's just terrifying. It's not that. I mean, it's not that complicated. Um, and it's a massive industry designed to make it seem really complicated, yeah. so that yeah, you it's, it's jargon. pay to make the problem go. Away. It, it is the most ridiculous as far as having a bunch of jargon that sa- makes it sound like they're doing like they're doing some sort of magic when it's like they're not at all like it's very easy to understand what was what was so you're doing the lord's work is what i'm, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. trying i'm what, trying in yeah, what, as much spandex as possible yeah what was what was foucault's term something like what the, the obscurantist terrorism or terrorism through uh, obscure uh well, God, i can't he, remember what it's, I, he said he he referred to uh derrida in in a very similar way to that he called he called them some sort of terrorist but but because like you you can't understand what he's saying yeah but it, but it, that applies yes to to any any use of jargon in which the jargon is designed to enshrine a sort of uh, uh, unapproachable, um, un- unapproachable, unquestionable yes, ideology, and yes, and, but the the postmodernists were probably the 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 in my of- opinion the the biggest offenders. <laughs> Getting back to your book, let's see how much of it is. is how uh, can you describe like what what you, the basic structure? Is, it's going to be a workbook. Yeah, okay. it's mainly a workbook. So um, I have an online course called Get Your Money Together Bootcamp, which is the online version of the one that you took in person. My and, uh, my girlfriend is currently taking that and enjoying it. Oh, awesome! Uh, and it is. So this is the workbook that's kind of a companion to go along with it, but it stands alone. And uh, essentially, I had a comic book illustrator that I really respect, Lucy Bellwood, who awesome. um, drew. You know, and it's still in the process of doing a lot of the work on it, but like I'm using cats to explain 401k <laughs> allocations. And, and that's just because like I think it's really, really important to use comics as a medium to explain stuff that's scary to folks. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, but it's, it's just filled with a bunch of um, we're, all the worksheets that you need to figure out retirement and investing and budgeting and, you know, living below your means and understanding credit scores, which is just a giant weird gamification of our lives, which is very odd. Um, and yeah, and I use as many cats as possible. Uh, Jared, can, you gra- can you grab that, the, 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 can you better. grab the economics book on top of the bookshelf there? Have you seen that yet? W- oh yes, uh, you oh, showed yeah. it to us once before. Yeah, 
I was going to say, uh, but in, going back to, like I said, um, but yeah, as you were saying, you've seen this, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, this is this is one of the things I've recommended this before. There is a book put out a couple of years ago by Michael Goodwin and illustrated by Dan E. Burr called Economics, How Our Economy Works and Doesn't Work in Words and Pictures. And it's one of the things where... Um, I mean, even like going back as far, you know, the um, the the ability to I think the usefulness, the utility of being able to explain the stuff just through, you know, uh, you know, you know, comics and, you know, in using, you know, Art Spiegelman's definition of, you know, mixing like um, words and pictures, the, the, the ability to explain, communicate concepts to just regular folks is almost like shockingly useful. And it's kind of like so much stuff would just comes across as being. Um, you know, it's like it's far more readable. It's far more you can much more easily learn this stuff than just kind of like books and books of text. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, uh, and nobody wants to do that just to pay their freaking credit card bill, right? Like, no. I mean, that's the really frustrating thing is that a lot of people stay away from dealing with their own money because they believe that they need to understand economics, right? Which is like you do not need to understand the Federal Reserve requirements right. or no. like like. You know, you don't need to you don't need to be a CPA in order to manage your own money. And um, and I one of the reasons I think making it really accessible, you know, some of the some of the best compliments I've gotten backhanded compliments I've gotten has been like, well, you you explain things too simply. And I'm like, but you, it really doesn't need to be. By whose like, definition? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, well, uh, mean iTunes reviews. Um, <laughs> 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 but and it, if I'm explaining it simply and you understand it, then I've done it correctly right you succeeded, so yeah sure. exactly and and i i think that people want this stuff to be complicated because they want an excuse for why they haven't figured it out yet right yeah, yeah. how much of the it's, yeah the, it's the 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 self-justification justification aspect of it both of if it's way uh not only if it's way too hard i now have a way to justify my fear of not getting into it yeah but uh, but also the um the professional side of it is that you know i am the expert i'm the sub i'm the sme i'm the guy who gets paid to um you know it, right it, to you know to opine about the stuff in like really badly written you know new york times op-eds or yeah. god knows what or have or uh, well even like younger or, or people just, Sorry. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, if you like spent a lot of time on Reddit, our personal finance, yeah. it's like they're like they feel like they are having to like be the best gamer in the system, you know, like right. uh, I need to max out my my abilities in this, you know, um, <laughs> God, yeah. it's, so, it's, it's just it's so elitist and gatekeepy and it's weird. Right. It just of all things that we could all use advice and help on. Yeah, I had, I had someone where I was working with recently who's like, you know, small business owner, husband and wife work for the business. They have two kids. They're one of them has a PhD in computational mathematics and the other has a master's degree from Columbia in computer science. Like they are very smart, very mm -hmm. clever people and they're making decent money. You know, they could be making a lot more if they worked for Google or something, but they're making six figures between the two of them. They're comfortable. And they were incredibly stressed out about their city thank you points. They were like, we have like 50K <laughs> city thank you points. And like, I'm too stressed out to figure out how to use them efficiently. Like, you know, it's only it's like $500 that we cash them out. But I'm pretty sure if we spend them on like hotels or restaurants or something, we could gain the system. And I was like, if this is stressing you out, 
get rid of it. Just get, cash them out. Yeah, like, cash them out. Like, yeah. You do not have to use these <laughs> fake points that they made up for you in yeah. the most efficient manner. And they, like, and they gave them to you. It's like, right. yeah. Well, they gave, they gave them to you, right? Like, they made up an entire ecosystem that right. you now yeah. feel like you're failing if you don't participate but, but in the most efficient But that's my way. point is, like, 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 you didn't... Like this is all based on the largesse of Citibank. It's the endowment even... effect in economics, right? Is <laughs> well, I don't know. Have... I don't know what that is. So. so the endowment effect in economics is this idea. It's this behavioral economics thing, which is that like, so this book you've never had it before, but I give it to you, and now you want more for someone to buy it from you than you would have paid for it yourself. Yeah. And the endowment effect is it, it happens with parking all the time, right? So like, absolutely, everybody is very very upset about their free parking being taken away mm-hmm. because they've always been given it for free. And so now they suddenly believe that they've been endowed that free parking despite the fact that it's a public resource. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that they would be charged for it, you know, no, but it, they would it, never buy it on the open market for that price. Yeah, and it kicks in like the resentment and the entitlement. Yeah. Entitlement, entitlement and endowment often can go hand in hand or they don't necessarily have to. But like, you know, I value things that I never would have that I've been given as gifts that I never would have bought for myself. But now I'm like, oh, I'm not going to part with that unless I can get X, Y, Z amount of dollars mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, one, there's one thing that's worth examining, you know, probably like a full episode other, other time. But it's the the. The culture and kind of the the idea of. Or what? What you know? What would inst- what instills the what instills the obsession that of needing to to effectively min max like er, er, min max and uh, and um, you know make as, as as efficient and as productive as possible like every single system in your in every single group of stats or you know your own your own accountancy uh, like in your life rather than you know even if it's an immaterial. Um, just extra, you know, extra bonus system that's kind of tossed in there that, you know, the, okay, now I don't have this extra thing is like, not only do I need to use it well, but it's like, at some point it's, it's not just using it well, it is the, it is the massive anxiety that you are not using it. You are not, you know, again, it's like, you know, my, my character, my character stats are not min maxed enough to the point where I, you know, I'm not using this enough. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the obsession with efficiency, I think, is some way driven by the American condition, right? Like, right. I'm not entirely positive that all humans are as driven to do this as folks that grew up with, like, a Protestant work ethic. <laughs> right, yeah, that's right? an excellent point. Very good It's point. an excellent point, because it's like, it's like, it's it's almost like we have this notion that, like, like by spending your credit card point well you're winning right and it's like what have you won you know what i mean it's like it's like you had all this anxiety about it you had like uh what did that i don't know it just it's it so this is um i i don't want to dive too deep into the credit system because i don't think that's the best conversation but um i'm personally sy- fine with it, but. <laughs> credit systems are totally different in all countries right like um and the u.s credit system was actually believe it or not invented to try to prevent discrimination in lending, which is kind of hilarious that in the is way that really it, um, but it... But previously, essentially, th- there was no credit score and there was no centralized database, and it would be your neighborhood banker who can look up any information about you, and it was all private what they could what they could use, and yeah. so they might know if they you cheated on your wife and what church you went to, and, you know, if you were behind on your bar tab. I mean, any number of inform- pieces yeah. of information what, they could use, what, and primarily... Are you a white, white Anglo-Saxon male? Mm-hmm. And um, 
and you know women couldn't until the 1970s they couldn't even have a credit card on their own they, yeah. you know if you wanted to go buy a vacuum cleaner at the store your husband would get called and the uh, the credit system in the US is you start with nothing and then you work your way up right and there's different kind of tops depending on one of the three credit bureaus but in Germany and a lot of other countries that have credit systems similar you start with good and then you get points taken off if you pay late and blah 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 and if you acquire debt and I think that at the core the way that we've ended up structuring our credit system speaks very highly to like our obsession with efficiency and maxing out because this belief that there's this this higher point that you can get to um if you just do things right which is extra funny because like getting from on an, the 850 system getting from like an 840 to an 850 is way harder than getting from like a 650 to a 750 yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah it, again it's yeah it's important it, it, connects up a lot with like gamification and because video games are effectively you know uh, us interacting with a with a with a series of systems it's kind of a series of rules yeah of like how like your character in warcraft it's a lot harder to go you know from like level 70 to level 80 or whatever God, I don't actually spent too much it's time. It's up to 110 now. I yeah. I'm playing. <laughs> Very important. Yeah, it's like, yeah. At one point, yeah, the uh, the um, the the level alien effect. I can't. Um, just, well, I think log- what, logarithmic or, or exponential. One of the two. But it's yeah. yeah. It's. Yeah. But um. But it's something like. But it goes back in, in terms of like the obsession with obsession with efficiency. Similarly, um, but. But taken out of the taken out of the arenas where that would actually matter or help. Um, two examples. One example is I used to, uh, when I lost my first engineering job, got a gig working uh, as an uh, as an as a mortgage underwriter assistant or under I don't know. Something. I worked in the mortgage underwriting in Ann Arbor, and because of management consultant trends being what they were at the time they just found out they had just found out about six sigma but how it was like the the, the hot new thing mm-hmm. and they were going to bring in stuff that was explicitly designed to improve manufacturing manufacturing, and manufacturing quality <laughs> into home mortgage lending that at some point wound up being you know helping to contribute to uh you know just the the, the bubble bursting years later the i think the other example is Interviews with the guy who created Soylent, the meal replacement oh, plan. Yeah, yeah. Where I've heard it those is, guys talk. At some point, it's kind of a thing where I want to like. I, I want to like talk to like Jane McGonigal, who wrote Reality's Broken, and she wrote, she was the one who really foregrounded a bunch of stuff about. I think yeah, her books over there about um, the value the the value of gamification in like different in areas of our lives that are not necessarily um, you know games. Mm-hmm. Because like I mean we're we're it's it is taking things that you learn you know um, motivational systems incentives and whatnot as well as metrics that um, work really well when you're trying to measure progress and communicate information to the player taking that and putting that into different aspects of our lives but I think the downside of that is that it can come along with a lot of the other more obsessive behavior with uh, with with games that. Um. Yeah. Who remembers the slang term "Evercrack"? Oh yeah. No. Evercrack for Everquest. Ever, yeah. Ever before Warcraft became the default standard, ever um, and after Ultima Online was kind of like the first one that really started this way. God, this is like this is twenty years ago. Um, Ever- talking about MMOs. Yeah, I know what you're talking Good. about. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you, yeah, you described yourself as a neo-luddite, I am a neo-luddite, <laughs> but I know what that is. 
Yeah, I was say these things have been on for two decades. But yeah, where the it's like the addictive behavior that people are doing just around um, around EverQuest, and it's kind of a thing. Where, and they even the initial writing was talking about how you know examining why people were extremely like why they latch really really hard into you know MMO games and you know or single player RPGs, I guess role playing games. And but it's but it's kind of a thing where yeah the. It's like the negative side of that thinking when you start getting into kind of like Soylent stuff where, especially in interviews with the owner, and I can't remember his name, but he talks about needing, you know, a an, almost, an OCD compulsion to, you know, to min-max, to, you know, to make hyper-efficient every single sub-aspect of his life. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. to what goal? I mean, it's kind of a thing where... The, right. Yeah, that's, you know, oh. that's such a good point. Well, you, go ahead. Uh uh, so I I will say that I have a dashboard for my life and I input all of my data every day and mm-hmm. I see where I'm at on the dashboard and and that is part of my general obsession with making things efficient. But, but I see the dark side of this a lot of the time with folks is stress around money. Yeah. Yeah, but like as Jeremy just said, like to what end? Like 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 what is it for? Yeah. Is like because I understand the motivation to be like if I understand if I understand my my life is a set of uh, uh, or several sets of data that I can analyze like um, but like for what and that's and that's the thing that that I, I think you're trying to chime in about right Jeremy like, like yeah yeah what at some point I, the, this this behavior if all behavior is supposed to do is we perform behavior to do a function to solve a problem what is what is the ultimate goal or you know to towards what vector are we uh, are we doing this um, behavior for yeah this is why like I'm very wary of the dot com mindset where it's like they they want to take everything and, and make it, I don't even know if they want to, if efficiency is the right word, but they, they want to streamline everything. Mm-hmm. But for what, you know what I mean? Like, like, like for, for, I, I really don't know sometimes. It- I mean, I mean, I think what, I think what Jeremy's trying to say is like, this, this is a sort of can be a compulsion that, uh, that that people can't tell you why they're doing it; they're just doing it. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean that's the that's good gamification, right? So that's one of the like, for example, like I have like a six hundred and sixty day streak on Duolingo or something. Okay, and and that is because they introduced the concept of a streak to me, and now I can't stop. Right? <laughs> yeah. So and stuff, um, yeah, stuff taken straight out of uh, and, straight out of Call of War, or Call of Duty. It, well, and it's this is a basic gamification concept, right? Where we, we you get rewarded by certain kind of behaviors and. And, the but, whole notion of gamification thing. is like new to me in the, oh, the past I, I'm half happy hour. To, so. so this is this is the thing I this is what I give a lot of my talks on. I actually okay. just gave a talk on doing this and teaching personal finance like mm-hmm. last week. Um, but one of the reasons that it's so motivating for Duolingo is right, like there is a why behind it. Theoretically, like I want to keep up yeah. to date on my German and I want to make sure that I don't yeah, lose I my German. I will know German at the end of this. Yeah, well, and then, like, for me, I I also don't think that, unfortunately, playing online games is not enough to to make you fluent in German, but I, since I used to live there, it's sort of this, I didn't, I don't want to lose it, right? And so this regular, small interaction each day, there is no way I would have practiced German every single freaking day without missing a day for the past two years. And then, by the way, I had like a 500-day streak before yeah. then, and I lost it when I was I, in yeah. Iceland. I used Duolingo, and I thought it was pretty fun, but I only used it for about two months. And but, it's, and, but it's this loss of, right, this is basic behavioral uh, econ, which is loss aversion, which is this idea that once I've got the 600-day streak, I can't lose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and we're so afraid of losing things that we didn't know that yeah. we valued before. And because of that, like, I'm, you know, I'm probably 
probably going to lose it when I'm in Russia on this train trip, and I'm terrified. Yeah, but I think and I think you get to it, but it is the at least doing the Duolingo stuff. It is to it serves a purpose, like ultimately to be better at like uh, the you know paring everything down, media, uh, building a structure. Uh, game, you know, gamifying everything, measuring everything, you know, making everything more efficient is a what tactic? I guess you know, is, is, it's a means of getting to an end. It in itself is not the it is not the goal in and of itself. Right. Yeah. And that's I mean that ends up being a lot of what I have to have conversations with people about because I I design games for ridiculous things all the time. Like one of the events that I led for years was called Raiders of the Lost Archives, and we made a game that was essentially glorifying data entry, and people would fly in from other countries to stay up for 24 hours straight competing to do data entry for the library I worked for. And this was literally just like, how do we catalog these zines? Um, and we turned it into a game. We had like a Yeti in the forest, and like as you catalog, things in the forest would change based on the type of things you cataloged. And because of that, we you know started cracking through our backlog of 30 there is no way volunteers would have volunteered to stay up all night in a warehouse <laughs> eating crappy pizza <laughs> like just doing data entry that's yeah. all they were doing for um for 24 hours straight and it was only because of the creation of a game and but one of the reasons why i think gamification is very terrifying in a lot of ways is that it we humans are very addicted and very rewarded by certain types of behavior. Scanner box. We've been we've been working really really hard to understand the inner workings of the mind and what works in games for years. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you go into a casino, you can never leave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's because like those lights have been optimized to keep you at the slot machine, and there's See, no clocks on the wall, and all of those things are part of the elements. What of you're saying to me right now is terrifying, and maybe that's why I don't play video games like <laughs> subconsciously. It's like I don't like the notion that people are using this not you know this this knowledge of of how human brains work and how we engage in games. Like a lot of like like we have you know game theory is about like how normal human interactions can be analyzed as games. Yeah. Um. That is terrifying to me. Like, what you're talking about is terrifying to I me. mean, but, it's, <laughs> the but it's also the bit... We've been doing it since way before we had the words for it, right? Like, yeah. that's basic sales tactics, yeah. right? You know, you, you draw on emotions. You draw on competition. Like, all of these basic human yeah. emotions. It's just that we're getting better and better at explaining yeah. it. I guess, I guess I'm concerned about who has the power to have that effect. We all have the power. That's what I love about gamification, though. <laughs> We if do. you understand it, you have the power to turn anything into a game. I, my birthday party, I had like 50 people run around the metro area competing on the transit system to go to the most transit centers. We turned it into a massive spy-themed mm -hmm. game. For what end? I don't know. I wanted people to but ride like, how, like, all day. No, that like, sounds amazing. So like, <laughs> we've really got, <laughs> so like, like, my concern is like, we've got problems like, well, I mean, I mean, the biggest one I can think of is global warming, and it's like, how do we like? No one's gamifying that, you know what I mean? People Some people see, are trying. Well, I, I understand that, but like, I'm concerned about like we're gamifying like, you know, how we maximize uh, how much work we get done in a day, mm -hmm. or or like, or like, are we spending enough time with our children or whatever? And we're not asking the question about like, like how should the world be structured? It's like not what game should we be playing? I don't know. This this freaks me out. That's all I'm saying. Well, I think I think gamification is just a matter of uh, just a tactic. Whereas I think what you're talking about is the is prioritizing the goal 
of what you are what are you what you are using this tactic to work towards yeah i'm I'm asking a, a more basic like philosophical question like what does the good society look like and and if, if gamification is just how just a way to get a, a there. large component about how uh human you know human humans behave fine you know so be it but uh i i'm concerned about i'm concerned about how it's used and who who's using it and let's face it i mean you know, I, I understand what you mean that anyone who understands gamification can sort of can sort of do it and and do it for whatever purpose, good or ill, that they want. But my point is, is like there are people that have power uh, whose entire it, jobs it are is yeah, to get you it, to spend it, it, more it, money on things that make the world a worse right. place. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's my yeah. point is like is like how, I don't know if anyone's thinking about how to use this to make a better world, and that's that's my concern. Well. I mean that's a good point I mean this kind of reminds me of uh, Alan Curtis's Century of the Self where we're talking about applying behavioral psychology to manipulation of people I mean this right. is just a natural extension of it for our times because a lot of people are we have more electronic devices and we have more um, you know free time to mm-hmm. actually use them so well and it's like that Edward Bernays guy in that he never had altruistic or even quasi altruistic motives to to, the, to do what he was there doing, really isn't you know in, I mean? a, in this late stage capitalist environment for a lot of for a lot of applications the the main idea is to exploit versus to mm-hmm. provide any kind of wonder, help or assistance it's different for when you're talking about doing something that for you know that has a, a value to the person like teaching them how to take care of their personal finances but if it's getting them to get you know to lo- lose their money or to um you know become more did said sedated sedated to the real world well, you know and this even, is why it's so important that people that are working for the good of the world are actually know how to it. use the tools uh, that everyone like yeah. it's only equalized right if exactly. people that are working on social good have the same tools and the same lenses to manipulate people into good things as well as bad things right? i agree with that so all right and on that note let's take a quick break and we'll be right back They don't. They don't drug test at my work, because they know that. Yeah, it's Oregon. A, a, qu- a, a quarter or more would be like, well, we uh, don't have any workforce. Well, oops, I lost yeah. my clown nose. Yeah, I'm not concerned about the drug testing so much as I'm concerned about like even just having my name on a list. Yeah, I can yeah. understand that. I mean, obviously, I don't drug test in my workplace of one. So right. You could, but that'd be... I could, and I would be pass. strangely masochistic. With flying colors, yeah. so, you know. Well, I guess it wouldn't be masochistic. I, I It'd think just be I, a waste of money. There could be a reason to do it, actually. So I'm a, um emerging small business, women-owned business, and I am attempting to pursue some, pursue some federal contracts. And you actually can. It's meant for, like, um, contractors that provide like manufacturing and and do work on job sites but Uh like you actually can get bonuses for drug testing your employees i think but i'd have to like pay to go off site to get myself drug tested for my company of one Uh, but like having the record of it and showing that i have 100 percent drug testing in an independent lab could actually score me more points Mm -hmm. on uh, government procurement materially benefit you wild I think they, yeah, that's one of the reasons. Why, yeah, it was one of the reasons why, like a lot of com- um, a lot of companies were because I think when it, God, this was, it was a program that came out with like what, like twenty years ago or something. But a lot of people, a lot more people were asking, like, wait a minute, why are completely unre- um, unrelated companies? What? Oh, hello, Pudgems. Oh, uh, hello. I didn't realize he had like a little a little stubby tail. Yeah, yeah she's kind of like like she's like like mix of like what cali- calico and manxy cat but also 
I don't know if her tail is conky because due to um, like some sort of personal like, history of violence. Yeah, in, either injury or or well, it's super cute. Or? It's really cute. <laughs> oh, you're very adorable. Yeah. Why are you ignoring us, meanie kitty? Um. Yeah, it's, it's kind of if you, on certain episodes in the last six months, if you, you uh, listen, you can and you can hear a little bit of tingling in the background. It's because her wandering into our studio and sitting there demanding to be petted, and Aww. then someone petting her, and then she, and then you know, Whoops. thirty seconds, and she'll be uh, okay and wander off. She's it. a very right cat cat because she only wants to be touched when she wants to be touched. Oh, I Sorry thought that was that. your cat, but no, no. My cat is just, I have a test for whenever I adopt a cat. I go, you have to have the floppy cat test. Oh. If the cat doesn't flop, then don't get it. When you get close to it? No, you pick him up and you actually literally flop them like a, like they're a noodle, you know? Yeah. And yeah, if they if do, they if, stay tense. If they stay tense, if they <coughs> won't demand to be put down, all that kind of stuff. My dear sweet boy bandit would have stayed tense, but. <laughs> we, we got our cat because she crawled on Aaron's shoulders. She was still a kitten oh, and she just like so immediately cute. crawled up on his shoulders and then tried to climb on his jacket which was like hanging from a peg on the wall and maybe <laughs> would have supported his weight but uh yeah she's adorable Aww. and does like to climb up things so i like climbing cats those are kind of neat because did she still sit on the shoulders she's not she's less of a shoulder cat yeah. now she's still really small she's a full-grown cat but she's only like uh eight pounds so oh, wow she uh My cat's twice as big yeah, I mean, I, the cat I grew up with was 25 pounds, so uh. occasionally I'm like, well, where is the cat? Yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and we're back. Kitty, kitty. Um, with a guest cat wandering around our recording table, because that is how you do a Portland uh, podcast in an apartment, because otherwise, like, what's the point? Um, one thing. Oh, one thing I did want to bring up a, a slight topic change, but I think it also relates to um, Lillian relates to your book. It was like if we could do a couple because again, back to the idea of financial anxiety. One of the things I wanted to ask if it was possible to at least go into a little bit of methods of you know useful tips for alleviating it, if nothing like news you can use. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's you know, at one point, yeah. This would be you know, this would be like yeah, the one podcast we do where we actually like give useful tips to folks, <laughs> other than like just kind of like rattling on about. Um, we'll be terrified of late states ca- capitalism and gamification. That's yeah. the that's the pro tip well, we've given thus far. That's what I'm doing. That's that. Well, that's yeah. yeah that's the that is the I'm general all my money also, in uh, a mattress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please don't put all your money in a mattress. I will too late. <laughs> Well, no, I know where I find your money. Uh, well, you don't know where the mattress is. I didn't say it was the one I slept on. <laughs> Huzzah! Um, tips for relieving financial anxiety. I think the first thing is to understand what the root of the financial anxiety is. So I, because it manifests in so many different ways, when mm. people tell me they're anxious about money, it turns out that it rarely takes the same form. Like, I'm anxious about money. And on paper, I shouldn't, I have nothing to be anxious about money about. Um, and I'm anxious about money because I have like a very strong hoarding response to money, which is that like I always want to be saving such a large percentage of my income. And if that drops below a certain level, I start to immediately get anxious. Um, I like my buffers to have buffers. And, uh, and, you know, fear of running out of money is like often the, pain of financial anxiety but but 
so many folks I know that come into my class are literally just afraid to even look at their bank account balance because mm. there's this belief that it's scary and it's too complicated, like we were talking about earlier. But they also believe that if they ignore it, then the problem isn't real. <laughs> and and uh, a lot of the anxiety can just come from believing that the situation is going to be so much worse if you actually pay attention to it. So if you just ignore it and you have that deep festering kind of feeling like you should be adulting better, like nagging at you. We're all avoidance. Yeah, no. And, and, and reality, often the first step towards dealing with your fin financial anxiety is actually to just take a step towards actually knowing what your situation is so many folks i know that come into my class um you know net worth it sounds like a complicated term it's not actually that complicated it's what you have minus what you owe and a lot of people don't know their net worth or they're so scared of it because it's negative because they have student loans or credit cards um the, like i feel like net worth and what is actually in your checking account and what your basic expenses are is such the first step because you can't really do a lot without that information and a lot of people have this belief that someone else has that information oh, <laughs> and wow. it, it's not really true right yeah. like like no one else is sitting down and doing this work for you literally no one else will do this for you yeah, and that is yeah they don't so have access to your assets uh yeah. yeah they might know you own a house but, but they don't know what's in your also account, who is so they, they right like there's this kind of general belief that there's yeah, this there's false no... belief that there is like some centralized database that understands your financial status and that's simply not yeah. True. Well, someone has access to it, I guess you could say. Some but, parts of it? Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. But yeah. who is they? I mean, that's No, the, yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to agree with you here. Yeah. No, uh. I no, but I want I want people to actually sit down and try to answer the question for themselves of who is they because they quickly realize that there isn't a they. There's just a bunch of businesses who would like you to spend money on their products, be it financial products, um and and they is not centralized. And a lot of Capital people believe team. that credit scores come from the government and they don't. Right. right. <laughs> like there is a there's this belief like it's a it's a three private companies that provide scores, some of which is um, regulated by the government, but three and that have proprietary algorithms to try to determine how much of a risk you are to the lenders. Right. Credit score is not there to help you. Right. It's there to prevent risk to lenders. Mm -hmm. Um and it you, having a good credit score doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? Like you can have a really awesome credit score. I know a lot of people that are super anxious about their credit scores. And the fact of the matter is the credit score doesn't really matter unless you want to borrow more money. Um, and, it, you know, there are plenty of people I know that have really crappy credit scores because they've never taken out debt in their life and they pay for everything in cash. Yeah, and I did that till my mid-20s and didn't realize I was fucking myself. Yeah, I mean, and you screw yourself if you eventually want to borrow for a mortgage or something for that. I, I think it's worth looking at your credit score, but if that is the only thing that you feel like is outside of your control and money and it is your main stressor... Like, yeah, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, count your don't blessings, worry. right? You yeah. know, like your There's very limited score, uses of it. It's not, it's not a measure of how much you have it together. It's just a matter, matter of how good you are at taking out debt and repaying it. Exactly. Um, and unfortunately, it can be used to evaluate you for apartments and jobs. And so it's, it's worth looking at. But it should not be the focus of, you know, when it comes to like this gamifying mm -hmm. your money. If you want to get rid of your financial anxiety, don't focus on your credit well, yeah. score. <laughs> like what I found was that... What I found was that my credit score just got better by doing nothing. Yeah, paying your bills. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's like it's like pay on time every time is the number yeah. one thing you if can, you can do. do it. Yeah. yeah, pay pay all your utility bills um, and any loans you have, just pay them. And if you can find a way to do that, you're gonna be your credit score is gonna take care of itself. Yeah, exactly. It just needs time. 
Uh, yeah. Okay, so we have so we have. Let's see. Understand your your actual situation in the moment, if you can, or at least like kind of like you know tabulate it. We have yeah. We have pay all your bills on time. Uh, we have don't focus too heavily on your credit score. So that's three. Let's see what else. I'm going to add have a budget. Yeah. Totally. Um, I came back from total credit score tank because I was not paying my student loans on time and they were privately held. Um, I, my, my fiance also had a bankruptcy. Um, over the last five years, we managed to kick a lot of ass just by having a budget that goes all the way out until we're dead. Or hopefully, you know, in our 80s and 90s. <laughs> I budgeting is the base of everything I teach, as yeah. as Jeremy can attest to. But uh, I mean, it's, I, I'm still bad at it and kind of need to do it. Yeah. I mean, financial management must be learned and it must be practiced, and it's not a thing that you get a win and you put on a shelf and then you're done forever. And I think a lot of people kind of believe that, like, one, it's too complicated, and then by the time that they learn it, they'll learn it and they're done and they've mastered it. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people procrastinate on it because this belief that it's really complicated and it's going to be like a college class that yeah. you have yeah. to go through and you're going to have to take a test at the end. And um, yeah. but in in practice, like the beginning of budgeting can be the simplest form of whatever works for you. A lot of the folks I work with have ADD or ADHD, and that can make it really challenging Mm -hmm. to do, like line by line expense budgets but there's a lot of different ways that you can budget you know one of the methods is simply to find a place that gives you a bunch of free checking accounts and actually divert if you get paid a regular paycheck actually divert into different accounts and use each account for different types of things yeah it's kind of like the envelope thing but on a new level yep yeah yeah. um and you know not everybody so i use wineab which is you need a budget um which i avoided for years because i was like i don't need a budget i'm great with money um but i really like the data and getting to see see it over time and it's a very um it's very manual kind of form of budgeting and it doesn't work for people that are terrified of it but there is something out there that will work for you there are so many freaking apps these days um you can text to save money now you can have like a little savings account that you just text back and forth with oh that's awesome um oh that's called digit (laughs) awesome can we could we we ran by that can we talk about the uh, the the envelope method really quick Oh yeah. Just to just to do like a quick descriptor, uh, a uh, an in uh, an in uh, an in show footnote. This is probably the budgeting method that your grandmother used. Um, it is essentially t- whatever your expenses are, paying for them in cash, and you determine how much you're going to spend ahead of time. And either the for the week or the month, you take that money out of the ATM, or if you get paid in cash, you already have it, and you divide it into different envelopes for different categories. And once you spend what's in that envelope. You either need to move money from another envelope and go, okay, I'm taking money out of the gas envelope to go to this restaurant, mm-hmm. or you are out and you can't spend that money anymore. And it's a really good for people that um, are very tactile with their yeah. money and went, don't want to get rid of cash. So I'm kind of the opposite. My problem is I don't really view cash as real because it was always my... I've always had like five jobs and it's been one of my side jobs that pays in cash. And so it would be kind of my my fun money. So cash doesn't feel real to me. But but actually having to write it down when I spend on my credit card does. But a lot of people are the opposite and they don't want to hand, you know, that that the 20 that lasts forever in your pocket because you don't want to break it. People that are that way are freaking fabulous on the envelope method. And that's because once it's gone, it feels really gone. My granddad. It was literally one of his rules of life was never have less than twenty dollars in your wallet at oh. any time, and it was because of 
you know, he just saw he for his mind it was like it was like you never know what opportunity is going to rise where you need twenty bucks and that could have yeah that, that could have taken care of that opportunity. Um, I travel a lot in countries where bribing is quite common, and mm-hmm. my rule is that I always have to have a twenty U.S. dollar bill because U.S. dollars can bribe someone anywhere in the world. Um, and twenty dollars, baby, it's, it looks like a significant sum, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, twenty is a significant sum in most parts of the world. Um, and but it to me, it's never going to make or break me back in the states, right? Like yeah. even at my poorest, twenty dollars is you know I can earn that back in a day, no problem. And um, it twenty dollars has gotten me twenty dollar bribes have gotten me out of some real tricky situations um and so yeah i'm a big fan of the like i i never carry cash in the states because i have not yet had to bribe anyone in the united no. states but um actually that might not be true i can't within memory oh, let's but, hear about that yeah no, i know I, I i'm thinking it's probably happened but uh but it's it, like quite common for me in southeast asia or italy and stuff like that mm-hmm. that i've had to bribe folks so can't bribe people in germany I can imagine. I can see it's that. It's too bureaucratic, and yeah. the, the cost of living is uh, the the median income is really high. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, just doesn't work as well. People really like they would want you to Strong fill out paperwork for, <laughs> if you were going to yeah. bribe different them. Different culture, different. Yeah. I mean, actual... We have a form for this. Yeah, they're also very very scared of hyperinflation. This is maybe diving too deep into econ, but they're so they're like generally terrified of flooding the market with money, which is why the euro is. Um, pretty much controlled by the germans yeah <laughs> yay austerity yeah among other things all right and let us tra- let's uh, take a quick break and we'll come back with endorsements slash recommendations i'll go first really quick the band uh, <laughs> multiracial multi uh multi-gender multilingual um kind of post-hardcore punk band out of providence rhode island their new album, Cost of Living. The name of the band is called uh, Downtown Boys. Uh, the last put out an album called Full Communism a couple years ago. That was great. Their new one, newish one, because God knows when this episode's going to come out, is put out by Sub Pop, just released very, very recent. Uh, in fact, yes, two days ago from the day we are recording this, um, called Cost of Living, and is produced by... I can never pronounce it. I think it's Guy Picciato. AKA the other the uh, the other guitar player uh, leader of Fugazi and Rites of Spring and uh, One Last Wish, and it sounds so much like Fugazi that it's awesome. It is the closest thing to anything Fugazi has put out in uh, that's that's come out in years. It's just this awesome. Um, yeah, well, at one point they will flip. You know, it's got mainly uh, 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 women-led, um, you know, women vocals, but they've they've got they have like at least two or three horns in the band, a couple synths, regular like just you know, hardcore band instrumentation, and um, they bounce back. They'll have songs where they bounce back and forth between Spanish and English. Um, all over the place. It is, uh, it is extremely compelling stuff. Um, so yeah, the new Downtown Boys um, album. They are coming to Portland in to play at the Mississippi Studios in late September. Check them out if you can. And that's it. Uh, who's next? Um, I've got a few things to recommend. First, uh, I went and saw the new film Detroit. 
uh, directed by Catherine Bigelow, who did The uh, Hurt Locker and uh, Zero Dark Thirty. I didn't see Zero Dark Thirty. But in Near Dark. Did she do Near Dark? I think oh, she did I love Near that Dark, movie. Which is why well, which is why half the cast it shares half the cast with aliens mm-hmm. that her then husband well, directed. There you go. Um I, I'm I'm sure this is gonna be a movie that divides opinion a lot. Uh, in fact I've read some of that divided opinion. I thought it was great, it was very harrowing, um but it it made me feel that uh, that racist violence uh, in the United States in the 60s that still continues today. So it's still very pertinent to today. It made me feel it on a very, very basic level. And uh, for all the criticisms lobbied against that, I think that if it can make people feel that, especially people that haven't been subjected to that, uh, it is worth the watch. Um I am reading a new book. I've just started it, but I, I think it's worth at least people perusing and looking into. It's called The Man Not. It's by a uh, philosophy professor from Texas A&M named Tommy Curry. It's about uh, his analysis of uh, black manhood and uh, and boyhood in the United States and how it, that has been an area of uh, that has been an area of discussion that has been uh, um, bereft for for a long time. Uh, so I think it's uh, I think it's an area uh, that's worth exploring and just at least look into the book and see what you think if you might be interested in it. He was the professor, wasn't the author uh, interviewed on the Champagne Sharks? Yes, that's Jeremy. My recommendation. Uh, okay, today. well then I'm not going to recommend it. Uh, <laughs> actually, is, I am. The vote. reason I heard about well, the reason I heard about Tommy Curry originally was that he was embroiled in a bit of a he was em- embroiled in, in a bit of a hit job by the by the right. Um, Rod Dreher, they talk about it on the Champagne Sharks episode, but I heard ah. about it on a philosophy blog that I follow. Uh, anyway, um, it it is a, it's so far a very challenging book, so uh, I'm, I'm really excited to try to get the rest of the way through it, but I, I feel like it's going to be very emotionally painful at yeah. the end of it. Anyway, I don't, in the interest of brevity, I'm going to stop now. No, Check out those things. It's a good bridge, because I was going to say that I signed up for the Patreon for Champagne Sharks after hearing it last week, and uh, it's by Twitter user Ricky Rawls. He just goes by T on the show. Um, his his uh, secret, or his, you know, subscriber-only episodes were worth the five dollars a month so subscription completely um but my favorite part was going backwards through the episodes because that's usually how i roll and then you get back to the very beginning and it's basically him monologuing a lot of it and one of my favorite things about well his, one of his first episodes is basically this w- delightful like rundown of why he hates hamilton and how <laughs> hamilton is very similar to uh in its philosophy to the west wing because of the Lin-Manuel Miranda's obsession with the show and so the Sorkinism aspect of it neoliberalism you know and he even relates it to Get Out which I thought was a really interesting take um, from a meta level so yeah if you want to start somewhere start there um, that's a really great podcast to get into oh, so can, what's the, what, what is can you give a, um, a bit of a pitch of what Champagne Sharks is oh, or yeah. who he, Ricky Rawls uh, or who T actually is I, you know, I don't know much about him as a person. He just keeps pretty anonymous online, but he's uh, basically talking about modern day black issues from the lens of, um, you know, how some of the failures of the larger media and um, an elite class to really address the actual issues within the black community and how some of that is also kind of assuaged through media in the sense that we have all these representation, but the representation is not 
actually from his perspective um indicative of black culture and also um the 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 struggles that the community continues to face so um it's very enlightening in that sense you know it's sort of one of those things where it's like it's not made for you you know like it, it teaches you a little bit more about how to be a good ally in the sense that there are things that you shouldn't be fighting for well you know just because you fight for representation within the media that you enjoy doesn't mean you're actually doing any positive labor or value right. to that community and that need so yeah, yeah it's a really really enlightening um podcast in that sense um so and then my only other recommendation is a uh this is going to be kind of silly but a nerd moment here um i'm playing a pathfinder campaign um for those of you not familiar it's a version of D D. it's like D D 3.5 basically um it's an open source um rpg game and i'm and um i'm gonna recommend date recommend the campaign because we just finished the second book it's the way of the wicked campaign by fire mountain games it's available through paizo which is the company that produces pathfinder content sounds pretty metal uh, it is the only licensed evil campaign for pathfinder and so if you're not familiar with it playing evil campaigns in any kind of rpg with a group of people is incredibly difficult because most of the time when you're evil you just want to kill everybody well this game actually has mechanics within it so that you have to work together you're bound into service underneath this admiral but anyway the, the way i'm recommending it is because i just spent the last year of my life in real time and in game time uh defending a fortress and at the very end of it you know i get to resurrect a zombie dragon and all sorts <laughs> of things and it's just the most metal thing i've ever played it's definitely like pay, playing a uh the sword video or something like yeah. that yeah i just got this beautiful mental image of you in front of a fortress like in because you said in real time and then i was like oh <laughs> does this mean does this mean she really has a fortress in her backyard oh, God. in portland oh. if i could have one i, I probably would and over there yeah. and we would just chill yep. and be evil mm-hmm. yep and i would play kick-ass electric guitar i need it actually i'm not that great a lead guitar player so <laughs> But maybe if you had a fortress behind you. Right. Maybe Everybody if I was, if I was that inspired. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. My recommendations are pretty weak. I just was going through everything that I'm consuming right now and realized almost all of them are 20-year-old television shows. <laughs> Go for it. That's great. Uh, we just we just had an episode about teen drama from the 90s. Yeah. So. I uh, I know. I listened I listen to that one. <laughs> yeah. Very exciting. I'm always excited to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The, I, so the thing I'm watching right now is Sex in the City for the first time, which was on television 19 years ago, which oh is mildly terrifying. Yeah, I watched it as a teenager with my mom. Uh, yeah, and um, the main thing that I'm taking away from it right now is that her finances make no sense. Absolutely. And it's just full of white people. Yeah. Like, there is... I haven't seen a person of color in, like, a whole season. They're you right- won't until there's, like, that weird episode where Samantha dates uh, a black guy and basically has all of the horrible problems that go along with that being the white elitist you know maniac that she is so oh man yeah yeah um i don't know it's uh it's there's not like a good looking italian model every every here and there oh they're probably there one of them quite dates a few or of those. something and yeah. definitely I, there's I've a french only... guy there's a yeah, yeah. I don't it's, remember a lot. it's rough it's a it's a rough show <laughs> it's a twi- but it's, I, it's i feel like it's a beautiful window into the late 90s yep. right now that i'm getting which i'm like reliving it and also, it's terrifying how long ago that was. Yeah, it really puts it, it in It seems like another world. Yeah, well, they just got cell phones. Like, I'm on the mm-hmm. second season, and people are getting cell phones now. When I see movies from that era, I can, they have their own look now to me. Like, 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 
You know what I mean? Well, like, and the single the single camera comedy is totally of that era. I mm-hmm. did not realize how much that is a hallmark of '90s shows. Oh yeah, yeah. But, I guess I didn't either. Yeah, but now we're because I'm. I didn't have a TV growing up, so mm-hmm. I am watching all the stuff I was supposed to watch like 20 years ago. And realizing and, how awful it was. <laughs> well, and I, I, so I'm watching lots of stuff from the 90s right now, and I'm going, oh, this is even just the style. And also, hilariously, you know, it all is formatted to fit your TV. And like, mm-hmm. I had forgotten yeah. how much we're used to widescreen now. Four by three. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I keep feeling like the, I'm Eyes wide shut. The That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. All right, and um, oh, and uh, last thing, if you haven't read it yet, read Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. That is a great book. Which I uh, call it magical realism slash satire of mid-century Soviet Moscow, where it's it's effectively, it is Sympathy for the Devil set in Stalinist uh, Moscow, where the devil actually shows up in Moscow and makes fun of people, and it cuts back and forth, I think, uh, between ancient Jerusalem and... um, you know, kind of like post, you know, well, yeah, effectively post-war uh, Moscow. Or actually, yeah, I would second time. that. That's awesome. So anyway. Oh, and oh, we're straight in a certain time, but I think we should talk about your book. Yes, your book. Please, please uh, where can they find you online? And please tell us about when your book should be oh, coming yeah. out. So book is coming out October 10th on Kickstarter. Um, cool. And the places you can find me so you can find my podcast is Oh My Dollar. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. Comes out every Monday. And... Um, you can find me generally on the internet at ohmydollar.com or me personally at Anomalily. So, yeah. Awesome. And if you want Cats and Bowie in personal finance, October 10th. Absolutely. Um, it, the rest of you guys, I think that is... And I think <laughs> contact everybody else through the usual ways. Come on, that's the, the, yeah, we got a hard out here. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Once again, uh, you know, go in the go in the spirit of uh, uh, like, share, and subscribe. To quote Dan Olson, uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Yada yada yada. Credits in the show notes. Goodbye. Thank Bye. you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I went and saw. Um... American Werewolf in London last night. It was playing at the Hollywood. Love that movie. You know what? It's a movie that I like less and less every time I see it. It just kind of loses its magic after a while. I don't know what it is. Like last, I enjoyed it well enough last night, but it's probably that was probably like the sixth, fifth, or sixth time I've seen it, and I don't know that la- the last ten minutes of it is like wow, and then the rest of it was kind of like the rest of it's actually pretty boring. I found it kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. the last ten minutes is amazing. I liked the Faculty oh, yeah. of Horror episode on that one. I, I, I don't think I listened to it. I've, I'm behind on that one. I'm actually behind on podcasts. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm listening to like five really religiously, and the other ones are sort of falling by the wayside. Right yeah, now. I have a huge queue. I think it's mostly just Street Fight because they like do twice a week, and and then a bunch of true yeah. crime that I don't really. Right. I listen to like I hate listening to a lot of the true crime podcasts that I used to listen to. <laughs> I only listen to my favorite murder. So, do you have favorite podcasts or? Uh, I have a lot of favorite podcasts. I don't listen to many conversational podcasts. A lot of the ones I listen to are like pretty highly edited. Mm-hmm. The um, one I've been really into lately is called The Pitch, which is a Gimlet podcast, and oh, it yes. is Shark Tank but on the radio, pretty That's much. Hilarious. Um, but then what I like is that they come back to the founders, whether or not they got funded, uh, like six months to a year later, and follow up with them and be like, "How did the funding go?" Blah blah. blah. And, um, it it's really interesting because 
uh, it's fun to dissect other people's pitches, you know, yeah. when you have no stake in the game. <laughs> the shot in front. Yeah, is exactly. Yeah. And you're like, oh, they use the wrong rhetorical way to answer that question. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've been enjoying listening to that, but it, it might just be cathartic because I'm a business owner. So, yeah. you know, it's nice to who is not raising VC funding. Thank God. So, yeah, that's a nightmare. Sp- speaking of VC funding, uh, McKendry, friend of the show, my special lady. Uh, sent me a thing for a thing called, I think it was called Smalt. What is that? It is the stupidest thing <laughs> I've ever seen. Well, the name already is this pretty takes... disturbing. Meet Smalt, the world's first interactive centerpiece that enhances your dining experience. This takes the candle from Juicero <laughs> and, and oh, runs man. to another planet. How can you top that, like, though? A, this, a it is $500 the, machine I, that I, she, she sent me a thing, and she said, watch the video, and I watched the video. Features a built-in mood light to set the ambience. A Bluetooth speaker that delivers a crisp and powerful sound. And it's a smart salt dispenser. Shake, pinch, or pour, all using your smartphone. And I thought, okay, when's the joke going to happen? And maybe it is a joke. Maybe I'll look like an asshole one day soon. But um, this is a centerpiece you put in your table. Oh, boy. And it um, spits out salt for you. No. But it also, like, lights up. No way. Let Smalt be the conversation piece of your dinner party. Is it VC funded or was this like a Kickstarter? Uh, I can only imagine that it's VC funded, but who knows? Uh, it was the, st- I mean, it's the stupidest. Uh, okay, so uh, just the well, is there some kind of, like, internet connected bullshit that, like, senses that you need salt now? Smalt comes with Amazon Alexa integration for the times you need an extra hand. Simply say, Alexa, dispense half a teaspoon of salt. Is it like for people that have trouble getting enough sodium? You can also track and monitor your sodium with the Smalt app. I uh, I only watched the do video. We, are we asking do... too much of this device? <laughs> yeah, I think well, it just, you're it's, asking it's an inevitability me too many on the questions. Yeah. I just watched the video and went, "What? What on earth? Like, where's the joke gonna come in?" Um, so it is an app. I think you have to tell your phone to tell the machine that you want more salt. Pair your phone with smalt. Uh, this, oh. There's nothing easier in the world than pouring your own salt. Uh, this is not a problem that I feel like the market needs to solve. It's a real thing. Open your smalt app and simply pinch the screen or shake your phone to dispense salt. After all, smalt is a smart salt dispenser. No! <laughs> No. Smalt, the smart home oh, device God, that elevates called, so your dining smalt, experience. Which is like, yeah, we... we the world's... The, 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 video, the video is amazing. It is one of the... Re- it, it's a conversation starter. Engage all your senses with Smalt, the world's first interactive centerpiece. I'm going to look up Smalt on VentureBeat. And here's and how the conversation how starts. What the fuck kind of asshole are you that you bought this thing? That's how the conversation starts. No, I think it's probably going to be almost entirely composed of people that bought it for other people. I, I, So I'm trying to think like if there's any application for someone with a disability that has like... But like salt is not so essential. Oh, it doubles as a Bluetooth speaker, too. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, for I, your I, romantic dining experience. So I, br- I brought this because this is Lillian's kind of uh, uh, zine hand handout. Nice. Which is awesome. And as a, uh, I guess... How do you spell smalt? 
I'm uh, salt with an N. It smells like, like it's sound. Yeah, like, uh, like, like Smarch, oh, only no. saltier. <laughs> oh, lousy Smarch weather. Do you guys want to know how much it raised? Do you, uh, do you really want to uh, know? Yeah, I yeah. want to know. 5.6 million. <laughs> that is completely accurate. Did you know that already? No. That is literally exactly how much their first round was. Was five point six, six million? That's a crazy amount. That's no. It, it oh. just, it's like it's more. It's more. It's Guys. more. It's more than video game. Yet, um, not quite. Um, this is this is a thing. It's funded by Amazon. Of course it is. Of course it is. And it's it's for it's the Alexa fund. It talks to Alexa. So yeah. it might. Oh, oh, oh. I feel really ill now. <laughs> I mean, I also love Alexa. We have two in our house. We live in a very small apartment, and we still have two Alexas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We only have one, but it's it's it is primarily a Bluetooth speaker because Alexa records sixty seconds, uh, and will record and transmit sixty seconds of of audio before you send its actual command, or along with its actual command. Yeah, yeah, and it just kind of continually erases it. I'm not a gadget person, so I don't. I my partner all of our lights are internet connected because he has a problem so yeah i have a housemate that does that yeah like so we literally have i don't i can't if the internet is out in our house i cannot control my lights um which oh is my God. mildly problematic um, 21st century problems yeah i mean it's really ridiculous but because of that we have like 30 plus light bulbs in our house it, it's unreasonable i had no part in the purchasing or acquiring of any of these mm-hmm. but because of that it's nice because i can tell alexa to do dis- different things with the lights. Yeah, sure. And uh, I can ima- I can see like this is not a criticism. I can see how some people would really uh, get some sort of benefit in their life from that sort of thing. But I just it's just not. I it was never something I would have something I taken purchased in. on my own. That's for sure. Um, also, I like being able to walk in and be like, Alexa, tell me the news, and then she just mm. plays me the top of the news hour from NPR. Oh wow! And I have to like wait till the hour on OPB or whatever. So yeah, I kind of like I don't know. I think I'd be sold on that. I'm I'm not too much of a gadget person, but I kind of it's kind of like that dream of the future that they had in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. where you could talk to your house and underwater the house bu- respond uh, to you. Underwater bubble cities. Mm-hmm. We don't have that yet. But. She she does a lot of kitchen conversions for me too. Oh, that's great. Like so, like yeah, I those would need to be hands free if you're. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much use her exclusively while cooking. That would be great, like because I hate, I hate flipping through like a like a screen when I'm trying. You know, like Mm -hmm. like it would be so awesome to be like, what's next? 